Hello there. I am your Wired Dads co-host, Alex Steed. Uh, Sarah will join in a second. I just wanted to let you know that this is a bonus episode. Um, it is for everyone on our primary feed, though we somewhat regularly, I would say close to weekly, a, a little bit less than weekly, put out a bonus episode uh, for our Patreon supporters. This is one of those. Uh, our Patreon supporters paid for this very episode. They made it possible. We appreciate that so much. We talked about death and we thought that 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 was a universal enough topic <laughs> to fit into this feed. We talked about uh, Dustin Diamond, who has come up on a previous bonus episode, that time about Saved by the Bell, of course. And um, we talk about Crash Bandicoot and Ocean's Eleven. So we thought that this might be something uh, you could enjoy. If you are a Patreon supporter, again, thank you so much for making these bonus episodes possible. If you are not and you would like to support us in that way, you can find us at patreon.com slash wiredads. Okay, let's go, let's go talk about death and Dustin Diamond in Ocean's Eleven and Crash Bandicoot. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. So Christopher Plummer died today and Dustin Diamond died at the beginning of this week. Yeah. Those two people, I think, primarily have in common being actors who have never been said in the same sentence before. No, not at all. And I think when we were talking about uh, potential stuff for a bonus episode, I asked if we could talk about death specifically because a lot of people who listen to the show have died. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) If you're listening, be careful. Stop listening. (laughs) (laughs) This is all part of death's design, which you might know from the final destination movies. (laughs) Do not put the VHS tape in the, no, that's the other one. That's the ring. That's the ring. <laughs> a lot of people listen to the show get in touch and tell us that they're dealing with their their parents having died one of their parents usually just one yeah usually the dad one right and we also in our upcoming 10 things i hate about you episode talked about heath ledger's death for about 15 minutes we did yeah well and also on twitter the other day i saw you say something like we're gonna do a bonus episode about death and i'm like <laughs> okay yes i have thoughts on death i am ready for this let's start there what are your thoughts on death well i mean i have noticed that lately i think about death all the time and i definitely go through phases and i think this is normal where like I'm just hyper-conscious of mortality and time. Can't imagine why I would be consumed by thoughts of death now. Like, why would that be, right? I'm talking about the pandemic, by the way, if this is confusing in the future. Well, I think that America is also a lot of American mythos and self-identity is based on the idea that America is powerful, rich, and smart enough to beat death, which I think has really screwed us up because... We are now a nation that it has proven, like, I know that there are tons of reasons for this, but, like, we have proven uniquely incapable of understanding consequences mm. on a global scale. And I do think that our sort of culture of death denial has something to do with that. Yeah, I, the thing that I... So the thing in this... This brings us back to people's parents dying is, like, the thing that I'm dealing with right now because one of my dogs is sick and has cancer Mm -hmm. reminds me of navigating when my father was at the end of his life and had like stage four terminal cancer. Right. Mm -hmm. So I bring up the comparisons not to be crass. And so just dealing with your dog is like dealing with your dad. But when you find out that your dog has some sort of aggressive cancer, you have to talk with them and basically 
basically all they're trying to do is sell you the best case scenario, not to be cynical, but like Mm -hmm. you really have to ask questions like my dog is nine years old. Is this intervention going to prolong their life or is it just going to be a series of interventions from now forward until they die in like a year and a half? Cause it's a nine year old sick dog. Yeah. And I, again, I bring that up because it was an immediate flashback to dealing with my father's healthcare, mm. which when you're in that stage of illness in this country in particular. I don't know how it is elsewhere because I only dealt with it here. You're dealing with a number of specialists at that point who are all dealing with very specific parts of the sickness and their entire job is to intervene in the area where they are specialists and they that's all they will talk mm-hmm. about. And if you ask point blank, if we do this thing that you're suggesting we do, is there going to be a lengthening of life in an increased in quality of life? And they can't answer that question mm-hmm. because the entire structure of dealing is short-term prolongment of a small piece, not a look at the overall picture. Yeah. You know, we've, we've essentially eliminated, we've scrubbed the conversation of end of life care of the end of life part. And because I only see the world in terms of, like, movies I've just watched, this is like, if you're Andy Garcia, right? <laughs> if you're Andy Garcia in Ocean's Eleven and you're like, how do I get these robbers out of my casino? I've got a Matt Damon over here. This is like a slightly different scenario where he, like, knows who's where. Whatever. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I've got Casey Affleck in the count room. I've got Carl <laughs> uh, Reiner on the floor how am I going to take care of it? And so, like, your floor security guards are like, well, we're going to throw a bomb at Carl Reiner, and we're going to get rid of him. And it's like, but is that also not going to take out, like, most of my blackjack tables? And it's like, well, yeah, but right, but whatever. <laughs> That's totally right. It's exactly correct summation of how it's dealt with. But even in this case, usually, unless you've got someone who's just stuffed with empathy and is not afraid of a lawsuit, mm. you will have someone who will speak in code to you enough to suggest that your black jack table might go down with the bomb otherwise andy garcia's a specialist or whatever will tell you all day that it'll definitely take out carl reiner it will absolutely take out what else will it do take out carl reiner (laughs) what side effects do we have to worry about lack of carl reiner (laughs) i love that i love that comparison so much because it's so fucking true and weird And then you're like, and what about Casey Affleck in the vault? We're like, oh, we're going we're gonna to blow that vault to kingdom come. And it's like, but we need a vault. Like, casinos need vaults. And it's like, that is not my job. I do not run casinos. I blow up Casey Affleck. They're like, we're going to have to get you in touch with a, the blowing up Casey Affleck slash vault department. Ideally, you can talk with them in eight weeks. Right. <laughs> and, and hopefully one of them will give you a clear answer. Uh. I feel like for anyone listening, this might sound incredibly ghoulish, but like it's also hitting me for the first time that I might never see Wheezy again. And I just like I just have to laugh about Casey Affleck <laughs> getting blown up in a vault to make it feel. Oh, okay. Wheezy's so good. She's laying down beside me. She's full of she's yeah. full of uh, uh, 
chemo and Benadryl and Pepsid and uh, oh. uh, just lying down. She's spectacular. And if she's here for another couple weeks versus another couple years, either way, she'll have had a hell of a run. The reason I wanted to bring up dad stuff in particular, one of our listeners reached out because their dad died. And the immediate thing I wanted to talk with them about, and I kind of, I offered it based on my own experience, is when a parent dies, your friends don't know what to do about it for the most part. Mm. And like once mm-hmm. in a while you'll have some, I, my dad died when I was in my t- mid twenties and I didn't handle it particularly well just because of the place that I was at in my life. And my dad, my, I was my dad's uh, sole care caretaker, but what ended up happening is because of everything we just said, like because culturally we're bad at talking about death, we all have our death baggage, wholly understandable reasons. Like two out of your 50 friends will handle it well. Mm. I don't know. Another 40 will handle it fine. And then people that you really want to be there are incapable of being there. If I were to go through it now, I think I'd be a little more understanding of that. When it first happened in my situation, I I kind of held it against people for not inherently knowing what to do. Mm. What became evident later on is some people didn't know what to do, felt embarrassed about not knowing what to do, and then that embarrassment created further strain in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And this is not helpful for dealing with your parent dying because I don't know what could possibly be helpful and it's all so subjective to the person, but if you do run into this thing... <laughs> Just know that a shitload of people are going to handle it poorly and that's not necessarily their fault personally and it's also not necessarily your job to walk them through doing it. Yeah. They're just responding to having grown up in a place where we only know how to deal with blowing up Carl Reiner. also someone we lost last year oh man yeah just like it's such a good one of the several patriarchs of american comedy yeah i really thought he would live to be 1000 honestly but you know 98 is pretty great but this feeling that if we acknowledge the reality of death it will come for us which is true like if you've been keeping it out of your brain then like it can come for you if you think about it and it will like lodge in the real and you will have to think about it. And I understand fleeing from that. I have gotten fixated on aging. Like there's something particularly mean about spending the year that you are 32 indoors like that is the year when like if you grew up in the 90s like you know from the cues you're getting from hollywood that your viability is going to expire when you're 35 because that's the age at which women disappear from movies Mm -hmm. and i know that that has nothing to do with anything i know that's just the sort of toxic hollywood world that i you know grew up observing but like i don't care i'm upset about it yeah and i think it helps to just be lying there and be like well you know death is even closer than you know losing neck integrity so like maybe think about that and like don't waste your precious time like worrying about the fact that you like are visibly older looking than you were when all this started like just death is the great equalizer of those thoughts yeah do you find comfort in reminding yourself that some other worst thing could happen yeah I don't know if it's comfort. I think this is a very basic thing, and I think this is actually part of why I love Saw and why people feel kind of (laughs) mystified about that. 
in a way that doesn't make sense cerebrally, but just kind of works. Like it is soothing for me to imagine my body being like hacked apart or decomposing or something. Mm -hmm. And like when I'm lying in bed trying to fall asleep, I will just sometimes imagine my body being dismembered or disintegrating. And it's not even something, it's not a fully conscious thought. It's like often an edge of sleep thought or like, you know, this July, like me watching Saw, that's the same kind of thing. Like that's me watching like movie after movie that's like, what if the human body could be mangled this way? (laughs) You watch that and you sort of, you're like, oh my God, that would be terrible. And you clutch your precious little bod and then you're like, it's all here. It's here, you know, just like you don't really, I don't, and I don't know why it works as the falling asleep thing, but like, I know I'm not the only person who does it. It's so weird. You wouldn't think it would be soothing in any capacity, but it, it is at least for me. So I recently, when I can't get to sleep, imagine falling hmm. that kind of falling that I used to, that like a lot of people, I guess, like wake up in the middle of feeling like they're doing in a dream. Hmm. And I don't know why I've been doing that. And for some reason it puts me to sleep. And that is a strange outcome of the past year. Yeah. <laughs> There's a freedom in it. I'm not quite sure. You're free falling. Yeah. <laughs> when Dustin Diamond died, you shared a great quote and I'm putting you on the spot because I'm asking you to refer to a quote that's not in front of you. Mm-hmm. Dustin Diamond is was a complicated person for the last at least last 20 years of their life in the public and for a lot of reasons related to how fucking crazy fame is for children in particular. Mm-hmm. You shared a quote about that and I was wondering if you could just kind of like summarize what that was and, and why that stuck out to you. Mm-hmm. So Dustin Diamond's spokesperson said, We are aware that Dustin is not considered reputable by most. He's had a history of mishaps, of unfortunate events. We want the public to understand that he was not intentionally malevolent. He, much like the rest of those who act out and behave poorly, had undergone a great deal of turmoil and heartache. His actions, though rebukable, stemmed from loss and the lack of knowledge on how to process that pain properly. Mm, man. It sounds kind of like you just described one of the dads we would suggest we would talk about on one of the shows who's lost and then no one knows really how to deal with it. You don't really wake up in the morning and expect the most emotionally mature thing you hear all day to come from Dustin Diamond's spokesperson, but like you don't not expect it either, really. Yeah, I'm going to read this final sentence again. I think it's great. His actions, though rebukable, stemmed from loss and the lack of knowledge on how to process that pain properly. Like, that's my dad. That's most of the dads on this Mm. show. That's Probably a lot of us uh, listening and talking sometimes, at least. Even at our most conscious, Mm -hmm. we can't always be aware of uh, the things that are in our fucking way. Well, I think maybe, like, think of yourself as a liver. Your liver is an absolutely miraculous organ. I remember being really struck. This was in the mid-90s, so I don't know how much this has changed. But in the mid-90s, I was watching a Nova or something that said to replicate the function of just part of your liver, you would need something the size of a factory Mm. and I was like oh my god you are a liver to replicate the things you can just a few of the things you can do we would need a whole factory like livers are amazing and so are you but like boy there's only so much a liver can handle and we also know that from how some dads die (laughs) you're making a micro and macro point all at once why is that a a comment that you shared about uh Mr. Diamond 
Well, I was reading that article, and then I wanted to share that quote with you, and I apparently went to the trouble of screenshotting it off of my computer and then texting it to you, <laughs> which like suggests like some sense of urgency. I mean, I think I, I wanted to send it to you because I felt like it was someone out in the daily work of trying to do their job, kind of expressing what I feel like we have been trying to express or like what this show is kind of about, which is like people make choices that are rebukable, but it's worth it to to try and figure out how they got there. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with our dads and the dads of pop culture and just, you know, figuring out how did you get here exactly? And it's not, it, it doesn't seem to be because you were destined to be here someday. It seems to be because you grew up in a way that made it very difficult for you to process what was happening to you. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dustin Diamond. Thanks, Dustin Diamond. Do you have a thing that brought you some joy this week? Oh, do I ever. I watched Ocean's Eleven for the first time this past week and Ocean's Twelve, which brought me some amount of joy, but not like Ocean's Eleven did. <laughs> yeah, that movie made me so happy. Like, I want to talk about it in a future episode, even though it gives us in a way, nothing to talk about, but then we can talk about how we have nothing to talk about because it's just like hot men doing teamwork with each other with with like little bits of, you know, conflict, but like not really. Like they just all love each other and they want to do a big crime and they and they have to cooperate and and they do it. It's the best movie I've ever seen. I think to some extent... And it's not like we're, we're not open to expanding format, but I think format will continue to be expanded a bit is to some extent, a disservice mm -hmm. is kind of done by just focusing exclusively. And we try not to on explicit dad to child relationship mm -hmm. and not like oceans 11 is a wonderful fantasy in which wouldn't it be great if mm -hmm. dads acted like this or men generally acted like this and, and did exactly what you mm -hmm. just described, which is just like be men who have fun together and, and collaborate. <laughs> like, what do we like about that? It's just so adorable because there's a part where so George Clooney gets out of prison and he immediately is like, I must pull off the most elaborate heist ever and never explains why. I mean, he kind of does, but you're just like, of course you do. What else would he do after getting out of prison? Which <laughs> makes the viewer beautifully complicit in that. And then he like goes to LA to find his friend Brad Pitt. And there's just a little scene where they're both in a convertible sort of, you know, chatting about you know, this plan that is on the horizon. It reminds me so much of the scene in Casino where Nikki Santoro, played by Joe Pesci, comes to Vegas and is in the car with his friend Ace, played by Robert De Niro, talking about how they're going to, you know, get so much money out of this town and who cares about the bosses back home. It's like the same shot. It feels referential. But like Casino is about like, what if your best friend came to do a criminal enterprise with you? And then it was horrible and everyone died because the bosses back home betrayed you and you can't handle your wife and the relationships are too complicated and just everybody dies. The end. And Ocean's Eleven is like, what if you and your best friend went to Las Vegas together to do a heist and then you invited more friends and you stayed <laughs> with your other friend and you just all had adventures. And then at the end, all the friends 
looked at a fountain. The end. <laughs> it's like My Little Pony. Like the degree of wholesomeness is just off the charts. Totally. And what if Elliot Gould were in it and just looked amazing being old ass just Elliot amazing. Gould? <laughs> I love him so much. Wearing a beautiful robe and glasses and he's got a big cigar and just, I was saying to our friend Nick, the closing scene where everyone's looking at the Bellagio fountain and then depart one by one and it's set to Claire de Lune reminds me of the part in Fantasia where they play the pastoral symphony and all the little baby pegasi, mm. you know, snuggle up and go to sleep. Yeah, it is the most wholesome film in the world. I think I watched it five times last week. Just like treat yourself. Yeah, it's high camp and I love it a lot. Alex, what about you? What has brought you joy lately? Um, <laughs> This is silly, but Carolyn noticed me playing video games, uh, which I've been doing a little bit more lately mm-hmm. than normal and was like, oh, I think I too would like to play some video games. So we, so we got one that we thought we would both enjoy uh, which is sourced in her youth, which is Crash Bandicoot 4. Mm-hmm. We just played last night. We just played video games next to each other. And it was like like two teenagers in love. It was adorable. I mean, it is like silly and cute, but it is like very serious too. Like just sharing joy with another person is like, I don't know, kind of the best thing that you can do right now. I th- yeah, I think that that's true. And I think also like, oh, and the, the other thing is I started doing some yoga just by watching videos on my television and I haven't really stretched in a real way mm-hmm. in years. And uh, oh, it is glorious. But the, the thing that I'm trying to be a little more forgiving, you know, I, I joke that I'm a Calvinist and I joke that I'm from Maine where we invented burning witches and that sort of informs my disposition in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. meaning like I don't do a good enough job just allowing myself to have fun Mm. to realize that like fun and joy and doing stuff that's kind of frivolous sometimes and you know the problem solving that comes with video games and stuff that that is totally fine and good for your brain and your heart you know and kind of an Mm -hmm. important lubricant for all of the other serious and important things I think should be part of my day today so it was really nice to do it with my wife oh yeah anyway Sarah, wonderful time talking Death in Ocean's Eleven and uh, Crash Bandicoot 4 with you. It always is. Everyone just go do something unproductive. (laughs) Yes.